looking at our hearts. We did something a little bit differently than we normally do on, on a Sunday morning, and, and we sort of gave ourselves a test, a checkup, if you will. We go to the doctor to, to do a wellness check. So many of us have spent time on a treadmill doing a stress test. We, we, this organ is very important. It is crucial. But it's also crucial to look at our spiritual viability and our heart's condition. And so last week we sort of jumped off into this several weeks as, as looking at this. And, and uh, I suggested to you um, something that I completely stole. was not original. Um, an, an article actually that I found from Nancy Beach. And in it, she talks about five key indicators to help us see the health of our heart and our soul. And so we looked at them. And, and just to quickly review from last week, in case you weren't here, we, the first condition, and there's many that we could look at, but of the five we looked at last week, one is emotions. You see, a healthy heart experiences emotions. A healthy person cries at times and laughs at times, and a really healthy person does both at the same time. A healthy heart is touched by joy, by pain, anger, gratitude, and love. The second is moments. You see, we're not in the present. Instead, we, we dwell, I often dwell in one of two places. I live in the past or I live in the future. All the while missing the moment that the Lord has for me right now. Frederick Buechner advises us to listen to your life all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. Thirdly, fun. We talked about those serious Christians, right? We talked about this need, this God-desired, God-initiated need to have fun. A healthy heart has the capacity as well as the need to laugh to relax, and to enjoy life's events. Because John 10.10 says that Jesus came to give life and give it to the full. Fourthly, we looked at people. How do we look at people? Do we look at people as an agenda? Something or someone to fix? Do we find people and their problems overwhelming? Do we resent phone calls asking for help? Are we dodging all requests? You see, a healthy heart is empathetic. It listens to the hurts of others. And then fifthly, whispers, the last one. You see, Elijah heard God in the still, in the small voice. God speaks to us in a variety of ways. But am I listening? A healthy heart is listening for his voice wherever it is heard, to the whisper. So how will we rate ourselves, one to five, in each of those five categories? Five being healthy, one being mm, maybe not so much. It's a good jumping off point. Today we want to look at David. And I'm going to be kind of jumping all over the place with some scripture, but I want, to, I want us to start with 1 Samuel 16, 
verses 7 through 13. I'm reading from the NIV if you want to follow along. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 7 through 13. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. Thank you. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nowhere has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. This is not right. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's, he's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, we'll send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. Urgency. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Our society is obsessed with physical appearance. Let's just put that out there. That's why many of us spend time at health clubs, huge industry, plastic surgery, people continually on diets. Billions of dollars spent every year in health and fitness. Don't misunderstand me. I'm all for fitness and being in shape. I'm in a shape. I said a shape. (laughs) But God has another standard, doesn't he? When, When Samuel was looking for a man to succeed Saul as king of Israel, God said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Whereas man, we, place this high price on the externals, God examines deep within for something more. Man judges one on the basis of appearance, but God critiques the heart. In biblical and scriptural thought, the the heart is the central organ that controlled all activities. It it, it is of vast importance. It is the determining of one's character of living. The heart housed this place or the place where qualities worth having were, were first formed. The heart embodied the womb of character. And David's heart got to follow this, because we're going to talk about David here for a minute. And some of you know where we're going. But David's heart was right. 
He was the skinny little sheep herder who became king of Israel. The man whom Samuel sought and found to succeed Saul. He was a mighty warrior. He was a, a valiant general, an inspired leader, a successful businessman, a skilled marksman, a gifted psalm writer. You see, David was the Renaissance man before the Renaissance. But the thing that impressed God about David was not any of those things. It was his heart. God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Who will carry out all my will? Acts 13, 22. You see, David allowed God to mold and fashion his heart into that which would be pleasing to him. God focused on his character much more than his physical attributes. He concentrated on his integrity, not just his outward looks. David, integrity? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Wait. So the question then becomes, can I, can we develop a heart for God, as David did? I think the answer is yes. But before we examine how, I think we have to identify, first of all, what destroys a heart for God. Because we have an enemy. And to acknowledge that is, is slipping on uh, or, or treading on slippery, a slippery slope. So what is it that will destroy a heart for God? You know, our physical heart is, is positioned by God to provide protection from destructive external forces. So not, but, but not necessarily so with a spiritual heart. It is susceptible to all kinds of, of harmful diseases. And influences, things that jeopardize its integrity. And it's why the writer of Proverbs said, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Proverbs 4, 23. The health and the productivity of the heart, it, it can't be assumed. It must be constantly protected to, to ward off destructive forces. Well, what, what are they? Well, I'm a preacher. Sometimes I like alliteration, so here they are. They're all S's, the things that could destroy or be destructive for our heart. Success. Yes, success. You see, success crowds our heart with things, the, that, you know, these signs of accomplishments. It tends to puff up our heart with a counterfeit accolades, causing us to say, look what I've done. When someone says, look what I've done, be careful. Because a self-made man is a self-made mess. Selfishness. Selfishness. Did I say it right? I should. I know all about it. Selfishness shrinks my heart to where there's only room for, 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 for three. Me, myself, and I. It becomes grotesque and able to face life because it alienates the needed life support of others. Success, selfishness, sloth. Sloth dries up the heart with inactivity, with laziness, lack of service. You see, the heart is, is like love. It, it functions to maximum capacity as it pumps out service to others. Sin. 
sin hardens the heart to, to the things that really matter in life. The heart becomes blackened as it's separated from the source, from God himself. Stress. Well, we know all about stress, don't we? Stress breaks the heart by placing unnecessary demands on it. The heart crumbles under the pressure. It fails to recognize the power that has been made available to prevent anxiety, to prevent stress. Each destructive force is a disease. And they have to be held in check. Are any of these diseases keeping us from living for God, from living a life as he designed it? So if these are the things that causes our heart, or these are the things that cause, excuse me, our heart to fail, success, selfishness, sloth, sin, stress, how do we then develop a heart for God? How do we combat them? Well, I would suggest to us that developing a heart for God is not as difficult as it sounds. It involves concerning our heart with the concern of God's heart, with lining those things up. We must develop these qualities that are worth hanging our lives on. And each of these steps is, is an antidote, a cure, a remedy to, to the diseases that we've discussed. But based on David's life, they provide the necessary ingredients for developing a heart for God. So humility in spite of success. Without a doubt, David was successful. And he continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. 1 Samuel 18, 14 tells us that. David first appears on the scene in, in the scripture to confront the defeat of, of the giant Goliath. He led Saul's armies into battle with amazing victories. David marched out with the enemy and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. 1 Samuel 18, 5. In fact, David was so successful that people sang songs to him. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. 1 Samuel 18, 7. You see, it was David's success that drove Saul insane with jealousy and envy. David was very successful in terms of measuring a metric of success. But we learn from David that one can be successful and still have a heart for God. But in order to keep success from crowding God out of the heart, it must be kept in check. And I think the antidote is humility. Humility is, is not lowliness or, or to be humiliated or to be abased. I'm not talking about false humility. You don't have to be a doormat to be humble. That's not what we're talking about. Humility is simply recognizing the grace and the mercy of a holy God. When it comes to success and accomplishment, humility recognizes where these things come from. Former President Harry Truman used to say, I'm here by accident, and I try to remember where I came from and where I'm going back to. You see, he studied history. 
and noted how men who were impressed with themselves were poor leaders and failed to make needed decisions. Truman called them high hats. Modern Pharisees whose lives are counterfeit. In the arena of sports or business or politics or even religious community, success and humility don't often mix. Like water and oil, they seem to dispel the other. But in doing so, a fall is almost certain. In a prayer, David said, you rescue an afflicted people, but your eyes are set against the proud. You humble them. 2 Samuel 22, 28. John Henry Jowett, a preacher of the last century, says this, A man's devotion is apt to dwindle as he becomes more successful. Our piety does not keep pace with our purse. Absorption in bounty makes us forgetful of the giver. We can be so concerned in the pasture that the shepherd is forgotten. Our very fullness is apt to become our foe. Perhaps the ultimate test of a heart for God is how do we handle success? The greatest test of our character is not adversity, but prosperity. How do we handle success? You see, when we're in failure, we're, we're pretty inclined and tend to reach out to a heavenly God. God, help. Whatever failure may look like. But prosperity, are we reaching out in prosperity to a holy God? God, help keep me humble. When things are going well, do we pray as often? Do I pray as, well, as often when things are going well? Secondly, we have to be mindful of the shepherd. David is known for many things, but one of the greatest feats was, was writing the majority of the Psalms. Inspired and composed in tandem with Holy God, they, they're kind of that original rock music. Many of the Psalms probably were written when David sat alone. Sat alone on, on the Judean hillside, tending his flock, tending his sheep. Their expressive words directing his attention towards his father. One Psalm puts it, proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together, Psalm 34, 3. You see, the summation of David's life could very easily be expressed in these same words. David inquired of the Lord. 2 Samuel 2, 21, verse 1. He worshipped and lifted up the name of the Lord. The antidote for selfishness is the exaltation of God. It is pointing to where things come from, pointing away from myself. Whereas selfishness shrinks the heart, the exaltation of God expands the heart. It creates room for God. It dispels the unnecessary things in life. So it's a question. It's rhetorical right now. But I think we all have to, have to ask it. What are we worshiping? 
be careful how we answer. David said, I will not set anything godless before my eyes. Psalm 101, verse 3. For many of us, we filled our thoughts and our sights on things that don't matter. We've gotten lost in the weeds. They're insignificant. They're not worth anything. For a lot of us, the old trivial pursuit, you guys remember that game? (laughs) Older folk. For some of us, trivial pursuit is not just a game, it's, it's a lifestyle. And yet, I I need to be in prayer as David prayed, confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Psalm 119, 38. Next, we have to be available in service. God said of David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will carry out all my will. Acts 32, 22. 13, 22, excuse me. I think if perhaps we could eavesdrop on on David's relationship with God throughout his life, we we would probably discover some kind of scene every morning where David sort of approaches God saying, hey, what do you want me to be about today? What are my orders? He wholeheartedly served his master through thick and thin, through easy times and difficult times. You see, God could count on David. When he completed his life, this is what the scripture said of him. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep. What a beautiful, beautiful sentiment and, and, and words could be said of us. Acts 13, 36. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, in God's plan, fell asleep. He completed the task that God had assigned him, and and then he died. Who would want to stick around after after we'd finished our assigned responsibility? You see, the antidote for sloth is is service. Sloth dries up the heart. Service opens a floodgate of of life-giving resources to bring energy, to bring power to our heart for a devotion of a holy God. Jack Sanford tells the story of an old well his family used during their summer vacations in rural New Hampshire. The water was cold, pure, refreshing, not unlike our well water here. It never dried up. Even in the worst of summers of drought, it never never dried up. When other people would be forced to go to the lake for water, the Sanford family had only to walk out the front door. To the old well. Faithfully, year after year, generations, giving cold, clear water. The years passed. The family decided to modernize the vacation home. Kerosene lamps were replaced with electricity. The old well with indoor plumbing and running water. The well was covered in order to have a reserve should the occasion arise. More years pass. And one day, Sanford, becoming nostalgic for, for the old well and its water, you know, goes out and uncovers it and looks inside to, to taste again. He was shocked. 
to find that the well was bone dry. He made an inquiries to discover what, what had happened. He learned that that kind of well was fed by hundreds of, of tiny underground rivulets. And when water is drawn from such a well, more water flows through the rivulets to the well, keeping them open and clear. Otherwise, they clog up. Our heart is much like that well. My heart is much like that well. It dries up inside if the living water of a holy God doesn't flow. And the more it's used, the more it flows. What makes the heart dry is not the absence of God's spirit, but is disuse. I lose what I don't use. I had a doctor tell me, actually a physical ther therapist with this old knee, that at some point it's going to have to be operated on, I think. But he said, you know what, Alan? Motion is lotion. Keep moving. Don't sit down. Keep moving. I think my heart's like that. Don't quit serving. You're not going to serve it up and not have any more in the tank. The opposite is true. The more we serve, the more it's filled with God's Holy Spirit and presence. It's been said that God wants our availability before he wants our ability. I think the truth is he wants both. But the fact remains that he, he can't use our ability, which he's given us. We didn't work it up. <laughs> right? The truth is that, that he, he wants them both. He, he, but unless he can't use, he can't use our ability, excuse me, unless we have made ourselves available. Have we made ourselves available to a holy God? Are we reporting for service? Do we want to be used by a holy God? Next is we have to be repentant of sins. I, I love scriptures for so many reasons. One reason in particular is that the scripture is raw. If you really read it. No holds barred. I like that. It doesn't cover up anyone's sins or faults. It paints a picture of people warts and all. And David, friends, is no exception. <laughs> a low point in David's life involved his adultery with Bathsheba and eventual murder of her husband Uriah. Two of the biggies right there. <laughs> I've heard Carl and my father-in-law, Bob, over the years, I've heard them both say at different times that, that David was a man after God's own heart. But you wouldn't want him to be your neighbor. 
<laughs> Make no mistake about it. David was a great sinner. He was good at it. But he was also a great repenter. He confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Psalm 51, which we've read today, is, is his confessional statement. He sinned desperately, but he wanted desperately not to sin. From, from David's life, I learned that one does not have to be perfect to have a heart for God. Praise God. Because if you could project up there my heart and what I think, you wouldn't invite me back in this building. Period. But what I learned from scriptures and what I learned from a holy God is that I'm a great sinner. But if I can be a great repenter, the Lord is a great savior. You see, one can be a sinner and still be devoted to a holy God. One can experience a dreadful past and still be used by a holy God. We are going to sin. It's a fact. And that sin separates us from God. It stains, it hardens my heart. But there's a great antidote. And that is repentance. And repentance occurs not by just feeling sorry for the sin, but when we turn away from the sin, when we walk away, when we move away from it. You can't repent and keep on sinning at the same time. It's impossible. But a renunciation of sin has to occur. We don't have to ask the question, is there sin in our life? The question is, are we turning away from that sin? Are we repenting of the sin that we know about and moving away into the arms of a loving Savior? David prayed, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 51, 10. He wanted a heart that was clean before a holy God. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And lastly, trusting in a Savior. You see, David experienced constant stress. I think we think stress is sort of an, a new modern day thing. It's not. For much of his younger adulthood, he was pursued by Saul who sought to kill him. He became the king of a nation that endured wars, giants, National problems, famine, only to name a few. His family problems were horrendous. Sibling rivalry looked, looked petty compared to the soap opera of David's family. Stress breaks even the sturdiest of hearts. But David had an antidote. He was going to trust in a living God. 
This was the controlling factor of David's life. And David composed a song that began, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my mountain where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. You save me from violence. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 4. David's basic philosophy for dealing with the problems and frustrations of life, if we were to state them out, I think could read something like this. I pray, I trust, and I keep moving. Elizabeth Cheney in Overheard in an Orchard expressed it like this. What about you? How do you stand the test of life's battles? Do you get stressed out or trust in God? The battles of life will come, count on it. But use it to bring your heart closer to the Savior. Hudson Taylor wrote, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer his heart. Is the pressure of life drawing us toward the Savior, towards Jesus, or is it pushing us away? And as we're bold, because it takes boldness, and as we're brave, and it takes Holy Spirit-enabled bravery, as I expose my heart which is already exposed to the master physician, to the Savior. What does the x-ray reveal? God created a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit. Amen.